Well, it is Sunday, and it is a very busy day in Israel as there are demonstrations for the judicial reform, against the judicial reform, and the left, which is attempting, possibly, the destruction of Israel just to get their way. Uh, We're going to be talking about also where is China, NATO's villainous summit, debt interest, how green can humanity get? That's interesting. Uh, Syria ravaged, can it end? And more. We're going to be speaking about, of course, what's happening here in Israel with the judicial reform. And our guest is Dr. Mordechai Ben Menachem. He is a... uh, Researcher, former lecturer at Ben Gurion University. He has authored over 90 books and 400 research papers on science, history, and more. He commentates on Mideast and world issues. I want to welcome to the show Dr. Mordechai Ben Manachem. Thank you. All right. It's good to have you on. Uh, the country right now is in a tumult. There, there is a lot of anger on the side of the left who hate Benjamin Netanyahu, who hate religion, or at least Judaism, or at least religious Jews. And they are uh, demonstrating, they're doing everything in their power to prevent this judicial reform bill from going through, the, the, the law from going through, which basically would make us more like the democratic United States of America, not less. We'll talk about that as well. And let me just say something here, and then you can weigh in. Moshe Faglin, for anybody who's not familiar with him, he's a former member of the Knesset on the right, stated recently that the left would be willing to burn down the country just as long as it would be them standing on top of the ashes, proclaiming they're taking over the power. Now, there have also been some IDF commanders and uh, reservists who have signed an open letter threatening not to serve if the judicial reform here in Israel goes through. And add to that now, IDF doctors to that equation, uh, the, the question here is what? These doctors would refuse to treat wounded IDF soldiers if the if uh, the government, which was democratically elected, majority rule in democracy, if they passed what they said they wanted to do when they were trying to get elected. So are these petitions, number one, are they a lie? Uh, Perhaps the answer is yes, and perhaps the answer is no. And why don't you, Dr. Mordechai ben Menachem, give a very brief explanation of, again, what the judicial reform is here in Israel, and then weigh in on the issue and what's happening today. Okay, first, let, let me sort of describe gen, on a very general basis what it is they're trying to change, okay? The judiciary, uh, um, first of all, the problem is not just judiciary. We're not talking about just the judges. We're talking about the entire legal system, okay? So it's not just the judges. It's also the the, the uh, prosecution and, and uh, uh, the way the uh, prosecution links with the with the uh, police and, and, and the entire system. Okay, so that's the basic foundation here. The problem is that when the um, uh, uh, far left uh, basically lost their democratic mandate in 1977, 
they made a decision to attempt to control the the the, com the country both by um, uh, uh, retaining control. Remember, before then, the, 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 the socialists had provided themselves with total, almost total control of the economy. So they wanted to continue to control the economy, and they also wanted to control the major um, uh, 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 nationwide functions. That includes uh, judiciary, that includes education, and, and, and a few other, and uh, foreign policy, etc., etc. We won't go into de details too much. Um, in many instances, they succeeded in that, and many, in some instances, they they failed. For instance, in in terms of the economy, they basically failed, though they still have um, uh, um, many uh, individual points of control. They do not own the entire economy as they did in 1977, and that's a major change. We have all sorts of people today who are who are quite wealthy for all sorts of reasons, and they have nothing to do with either left or right or are right and not left or whatever, but they're not part of this this foundation. So that's the basis for the whole thing. Uh, the basis is control and as absolute control as they can possibly get. Basically, it's a socialist, communist, conspiracy, false flag attempt to gain control of what they don't have and retain control of what they do have at any cost. So let me just describe a little bit of what the, these, these present de demonstrations are about. The, they have nothing to do with judicial reform. We need to understand that. First of all, the detailed planning for the demonstrations began before the vote in November. So they knew that they were going to lose the election. Everybody knew that. They already began planning how they were going to topple the government that would be formed, even though they had no idea what that government would look like. And they certainly had no idea of anything concerning reform of A, B, C, or X, whatever. The judicial reform had not even been, had not been planned. It had been, there, there, was, there was some noise about it, of course, for the last basically decade and a half. But no one had any detailed plans for how to do it. But the demonstrations were already gone, had already gone into detailed planning, even before the vote was cast. So that's the first thing we need to know. Second thing we need to know is that a very large percentage, we don't know the exact percentage, we think it's very close to 100% of the funding is not from within Israel, but is from outside Israel. Now, we don't know the details because they're, 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 they've succeeded so far in keeping them, them well hidden. Um, because, of course, the judges uh, uh, um, uh, allow them to keep the hidden, even though it's actually against the law. There's a law that states that uh, any NGO that gets funding from outside the country needs to declare the source of their funding. But they're not doing that. And again, this is not new. This is something that was well planned in advance. We know that the American State Department is part of the funding. They have admitted to that. We know that there are, are something. So there's, there's a, a fund uh, sponsored by George Soros. He, they've admitted to that. How much of a percentage that is, we do not know. We know that some of the funding is coming from the European Union. Again, they've admitted to that. We don't know the percentage. So that's the that's the the, the background here. So let's look at basically what are the demonstrations or or the the entire thing is all about. We need to start with the, the three 
um, persons who are at the head of these demonstrations. If we talk about Mr. Lapid, for instance, in any country with a normally functioning um, uh, legal system, he would already be in jail. He admitted in court on the witness stand that he had perjured himself. Perjury is a crime in Israel as well as any other dem uh, democracy. He admitted it. Not only did he admit it, he admitted it with pride that he had perjured himself in order to implicate Benjamin Netanyahu as a, as a supposed criminal. He admitted it in court that he lied. Because the whole thing was a, was a political bluff with no basis in fact. If we go to um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, Benny Gantz, Benny Gantz, again, he was responsible for a company called Fifth Generation. The FBI has already announced months ago, again, long before the election, that he is under investigation for international crimes of both money laundering and other things. And we can go on. All of these people, one of, the, one of the things that we need to understand here, and it's if it wasn't so sad, it would be hilarious. More than 80 members of Knesset, present members of Knesset, have in the past talked about judicial reform, that it is a necessary part of improving our democracy. More than 80 out of 120. All of these people, including Lapid, including Gantz, have made statements in the past supporting judicial reform. These demonstrations have nothing whatsoever to reforming the judiciary. That's not the point. The point is political and economic control. That is the point. Okay. It's a false flag, very typical of what communists have been doing now for the past hundred years. Right. And I, I want to remind people that the, uh, you know, the United States also has the the Supreme Court cannot go against what the president is deciding and say it's unreasonable and then prevent him from doing it. There's like due process, there's there's structure there. Here in Israel, what the courts are able to do, and this is what they're trying to change, is that our Knesset members who are elected by the people and are supposed to be representing the people they uh, will make a law They'll by voting it in majority. They can't become a law unless you have a majority there. And then the Supreme Court can come in and say, well, not even using the law and saying that's unlawful, but just saying, well, we don't think it's reasonable. And Wait, therefore... No, I, I need to mildly correct on, okay, on, on, please on do. a couple technical please do. points here. First of all, the implement, implementation of what you're talking about is not necessarily through the Supreme Court. It can also be through the various legal advisors to each individual ministry. Somehow, they have managed to acquire the power to invalidate any decision made by a minister. Which means that these, are, these people are actually, they're not appointed by the ministers, they're appointed by the legal right. system, right. and they can overrule the ministers on any subject, at any instance. Right. And they do not they do not have to provide legal advice, even though their title is legal advisors to the ministry. Okay, you got to hold it there, Mordechai, because we have to go to a break. We're going to be right back, everybody. We have a lot to say and a lot of information to give you.
All right, we are back here at the Tamar Yonah Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com, and we are live here on this Sunday afternoon, uh, July 23rd. And if you want to call in and win the issues, you can if you're listening between 4 to 5 p.m. Holy Time right here in the land of Israel, or if it's between 9 to 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. If it is not that time or day for you, this means that you are listening to this on a replay and uh, you can send in any comments you have to info or Tamar, T-A-M-A-R, at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. All right, we're talking about the judicial reform. We're talking about the the protests today in Israel, demonstrations on both sides. And again, just to give a brief uh, uh, picture here, the, uh, the latest government that was voted in in democratic elections with Bibi Netanyahu at the helm and the right wing having the majority of seats in Israel's parliament or Knesset, they uh, are pushing through or trying to push through judicial reform, which means that the Supreme Court in Israel, which has been known to be very left wing, cannot come in and stampede on the will of the voters and the representatives, the Knesset members who make laws. They cannot just come in and say, we don't like your law. We think it's unreasonable and therefore uh, you can't do it. So we're, we're a comment. Um, yes. You mentioned that the, the Knesset was legally elected in democratic elections. I should add that there were no zero comments about uh, a, a possible uh, uh, unfairness of the elections. In other words, everyone agrees that the election was totally kosher. There, that that's not an issue at all. No one is no one has even mentioned that. Okay, I you know what? Uh, as you're saying that, I'm looking at some notes here that I have, and I want to share this as well. I, I want to read you all an article, but first I want to share this. Uh, there was recently a news story that uh, U.S. President Joe Biden warned Prime Minister Netanyahu last Wednesday through an interview given to Thomas Friedman in the New York Times that passing the judicial reform legislation without the broadest possible consensus would risk breaking something with your relationship with America's democracy. In other words, the U.S. president is telling Netanyahu and telling the people of Israel, if you're going to do this without the broadest possible consensus, then your relationship with America is going to be basically re uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Re, re-evaluated, reevaluated. All right, which is to me kind of like a threat. All right, now it's kind of like a threat. It is okay. Open. I'm trying to be trying to be nice here. Okay, so I want to read you something that was written by Jonathan Pollard, who, by the way, I just interviewed last week. If you haven't seen the video. It is a must. You must go to our website, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Uh, IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Click on the upper menu tab. There's a tab there for videos. Go there, and it's the. It should be the first video up there, or the second. And listen to that interview. It was a bomb. It was amazing. In any case, he wrote here to be threatened and blackmailed by a so-called ally is bad enough. But for the prime minister to essentially betray all the people who voted for him by dropping a core component of a promised governing agenda is beneath 
contempt, he writes. In the face of Biden's threat to reassess the U.S.-Israel relationship because of his judicial reform plans, Bibi, Prime Minister Netanyahu, should have announced a strengthening of the proposed reasonable legislation and very politely told Biden to pound sand. But instead, once again, Bibi is folding. What in the world has happened to our, meaning Israel's, self-respect? Are we not an independent state? Maybe Bibi should have simply announced, now get this, I love it. Maybe Bibi should have simply announced that we were reassessing our relationship with the United States because of Biden's refusal to stay out of our internal affairs. So exactly how far are we willing to let the Americans and their leftist uh, Israeli mobs dictate our democratically elected government's policies? Does Bibi have any red lines or he, is he just going to meekly accept American diktats and mob rule? First, Bibi declares a building freeze in the territories in Judea and Samaria. Then he absolutely refuses to apply the law equally with regard to all the leftist anarchy that is doing serious damage to both our quality of life and national security. Now, this latest capitulation where the one key agenda Bibi's right-wing constituents voted for is being shamelessly abandoned because of an imperial threat to our presumed standing in Washington. And he goes on with other things to say, too. But I, I like how he said that, you know, the way that Biden, and I'm not talking about the American people, I'm talking about the Biden administration, how they talk to us, the disrespect the, the, the attitude where they say, we're going to reassess our relationship with you if you don't do what we want. I love how he says, Bibi should in turn say, well, really, guess what? We're going to reassess our relationship with your Biden administration government for getting, sticking your nose in where uh, it doesn't belong. This is our internal matter, not yours. So uh, it's just, just something to put, a, put out there. Do you want to comment? Yeah, let me let me relate a story that people are probably unfamiliar with. I think I've said it in the past here. Um, um, uh, uh, in, in in 1991, there was a very similar uh, 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 issue like this between then President of the United States George Bush, the 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 first Bush, and our our Prime Minister at the time, who was uh, Yitzhak Shamir. And uh, Sh- uh, uh, Bush wanted to force Shamir to go to the um, uh, uh, Madrid conference and recognized there the PLO as representing the Palestinian people. And uh, Shamir refused. He said, I'm willing to go, but I'm not willing to recognize the PLO. And so um, Bush uh, declared in a telephone conversation, um, well, if you don't do that, we're going to embargo computers to Israel. Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, uh, Bush was a moron and Shamir was intelligent. So Shamir immediately turned around, immediately, the next sentence, turned around and said, okay, if you're going to embargo computers to, to Israel, we're going to embargo computers to the United States. It turned out that almost all CPU chips in American personal computers, almost all of the time were made by 
Intel, and they were all manufactured here in Israel. So the, the point of the story is, I, I respect highly Jonathan Polarod and his and his comments, but in diplomacy you need to have leverage. Shamir had leverage because he had something that he can respond with. Now, I, I'm not convinced that, I mean, it's very nice to say we might declare that we're going to reevaluate our relationship with the United States. It's not quite that simple. Again, I'm not disagreeing with the sentiment. I'm saying that it probably is not as practical not as practical to do as Jonathan Bolo thinks it is. And I think that unless we have a defined lever to use that remains just an, an emotional reaction and not something which is really something practical. Okay, and that is your opinion, and I value it. I may not agree completely, but I value it, and I can listen to things that I don't agree with, and that's fine. Um, I want to... Read now an article or read from an article. If any, I really recommend everybody read this. Go to the Jewish Press. It's jewishpress.com and look for an article that says Netanyahu warns Israel is on the brink of a military coup. All right. And I'm just going to skip here a little bit. And uh, the writer, David Israel, is saying, I've never seen him, uh, Bibi, so anguished and afraid until Thursday night. In that key line, Bibi was not talking about the anarchists nor about pilots who refuse to show up for the reserve service if the bill doesn't go through, if the, if the law goes through. He was pointing to elements in the military, the colonels who have taken over democratic countries, taken advantage of political crises in Turkey, Greece, and Chile under the guise of, quote-unquote, saving democracy. The military coup has one mastermind devoting enormous amounts of money in the hundreds of millions to push hordes of dedicated Israelis who remind me of the zombie armies in a Hollywood movie with their incessant cries of Busha, Busha, which means shame, shame. Their annoying Zamburas. And the fact that 99% of these people wouldn't be able to explain what's a reasonab uh, reasonability clause, never mind explain how it would destroy democracy as we know it. The mastermind of this, he writes here, is Ehud Barak. He's a former prime minister of Israel, by the way, and he's a leftist. Uh, he was from the Labor Party. A narcissist, he writes, who imagines Jewish bodies floating in the Yarkon River, that's a river near Tel Aviv, uh, as the opening scene for his glorious return to power. We have the video, and they, have, they do have a video there. You should watch it if you know Hebrew. It's eight minutes long. Uh, this is going to be a long diatribe. He writes in here, and uh, let me just write here. Okay, let me just read here. Back in February of 2016, so this is like seven years ago, in an exclusive interview with United Torah Judaism, that's the religious party in the Knesset. Uh, Knesset member uh, Yisrael Yitzhak Eichler, he, uh, he says uh, that he asked him if the Haredim, the, the very religious Jews, are prepared to run the country someday, given their uh, large demographics. Going back to that interview, I was stunned by the harsh accuracy of Eichler's reply. What did he say? This is a religious Knesset member asked if he's ready to take over the country because of demographics. In a dem democracy, that's what happens. So he says, we're very afraid of taking control of the state. 
First, because as soon as we'll say we want to take over, make no mistake about it, the other side, meaning the left, the anti-religious, will forget all the rules of democracy and all the moral values, like the cat who was trained to serve as a waiter at a ball until it spotted a mouse. On the day the secular papacy understands that there exists such a danger of them losing power, the entire IDF weaponry will be utilized to defeat the, quote, Jewish Hamas and Jewish ISIS. He's exaggerating here because he's basically saying that's what they're calling us, the religious Jews, Torah observant Jews. They're calling, they look at us as the Jewish Hamas or Jewish ISIS. And he writes here also that... uh, he says, I com- uh, complained once to a former justice minister about the activism of the courts who were intervening in legislation without the authority to do so, regard- uh, disregarding the separation of powers. So he told me, listen, forget this nonsense. When we realized that, Svaradi- that the Svaradi Haredi Shas party chairman, Aryeh Derry, and Rabbi Avadja Yosef brought in 17 Knesset mandates, basically the left realizes that the the uh, religious are starting to get a lot of representation in the government now and they're getting scared. When we realized that they were getting stronger, we realized you were going to conquer our state. And we had two options, either declare a military coup, coup coup d'etat, or a judicial coup d'etat. We didn't go for a military coup because we don't trust the army. Back then, you should know, Shas, the religious uh, Saradi party, received more votes in the army than the entire left, okay? So they saw that they lost the army. So we decided, he told me, to shift the balance in all the government ministries to favor the judicial system, empowering the attorney general, the state prosecutor, the government legal advisors, the attorneys, because the legal system doesn't rely on the masses, and that's how we'll save our country. That's what the leftists are saying. When they say save our country, it means keeping it a secular state uh, and left. And they did it, and that's what we're seeing today. And I say, this is the Knesset member talking now, that as soon as they realize that they're losing control of the, of the country, it will be dangerous for religious people to live here. That's why I say all the time, I don't want it. Give me Yavna. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to skip all that. But he's saying that he wants to have enough power where he can make it comfortable for religious Jews to, to, to live here in Israel and that we can keep our Judaism and keep the character of the state of Israel. But he's not looking to take over because he knows if, he, if uh, the left senses that the, that the uh, religious right is going to be taking over and really making this a Jewish state, then they're going to there'll be no borders stopping them from what they're doing. And I'm not going to read any more. I want you to read, but I do want to say this. And that is that anyone who might be thinking, ah, this can't be, uh, Israel can't be taken over by the religious parties. It's going to be a ISIS over here. I want to remind you all that in the history of Israel and Judea and all the, the Jewish Kings of Israel who were, God-fearing religious kings, King David, King Solomon, never was it an ISIS country. Never did any police go into people's houses to see how kosher they're keeping their kitchen, how much they're keeping Shabbat or not, etc., etc. There's never been anything like that. Jews don't do such things. 
There, so nobody has to worry that even when we had religious governments, I'm talking kings who could do anything. They didn't have to worry about getting votes next term in a, in a democracy. They, whatever they said went, there was never anybody pulled out of their houses and killed because policemen went in there and, and didn't like what, uh, what they saw. Never, never, never. You don't have to worry about that. And, and uh, I'll leave it there. Dr. Mordechai ben Menachem, do you want to say anything before we go to our next topic? Yes, a couple of things. First of all, um, I, I know the minister that he was that he was talking about. Eichler was talking about. I had an almost exact same conversation with the same minister myself, so I can say with a fair degree of confidence, personal confidence, that what Eichler was reporting is indeed correct. Because as I said, I had the same conversation with the man. I didn't like the man. I still don't like the man. He's not he's not alive anymore. Right? So that's that's the first thing. Second thing, your comment about um, uh, uh, religiosity in government or however you want to phrase it is historically very correct. Um, uh, uh, um, uh, it's not just a question of Jews don't do that, but it's, it's against Judaism. We don't, we don't do that for good reasons. Judaism doesn't really have a concept of what they're trying to scare people with, the so-called uh, 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 a state of halakha, a state based upon upon Jewish only law. religious tenets. We don't really have a have such a concept in Judaism. It doesn't exist. Judaism, Judaism by its very nature really is very fair, including to people who we disagree with strongly. Let's say just as a as a, an extreme example, um what do they call them these days? The um the the people with other other no, uh, um how do you I don't know how to alternative say alternative lifestyle like, uh, the sexual things, alternative lifestyle—that they call it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how to phrase it properly. I didn't follow that. Okay, so I mean, even people like that that we strongly disagree with in terms of religion, we don't have physical sanctions. We don't do that sort of thing because it doesn't exist in our system. It's not a part of our system. It never has been. Yes, certain kinds of really extreme things like burning your child for for moloch. That does have, but I mean, that's really extreme. I don't think even the even the the the, the most extreme leftists are talking about burning children alive. <laughs> I haven't heard that one yet. But so so people need to understand that we really don't do that because it doesn't exist in our system. It doesn't. It, the concepts aren't there. Right. So people should get that out of their head that, oh, the religious are going to take over. It's going to be a Taliban state. It's ridiculous. Okay. Totally ridiculous. Totally, totally ridiculous. ridiculous. You're All absolutely right. correct. Okay. All right. So uh, let's go to another topic now. We have another two minutes left to this segment. Where is China? Okay. This is, this is a very short topic, but I think it's very significant. Okay. Everybody thinks, just about everybody in the world thinks, thinks about China. They think about 1.4 billion people. That's the number that's been bandied about now for, I don't know, decade and a half or whatever. Well, India has passed them in that sense. So China is now number two. What's more important, new research that's just published, I think, in the past two months, very recently, uh, claims that the population in China, the actual population, not the claimed population, may be as low as 850 million. In other words... Uh, 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 almost half of what the claimed population actually is. Not only that, this research claims, and I have emphasized, I cannot 
I'm not validating this research. I'm reporting this research. Okay. This research claims that perhaps as many as 120 to 135 million Chinese may have died from COVID. Now, if these numbers are accurate, again, we don't know if they are. If these numbers are accurate, this a this may indicate that China is descending much more quickly than we thought. Just in terms of population, United States is number three, then Indonesia, Pakistan, Nigeria, Brazil, Bangladesh, Russia, and Mexico. That's the top 10. One problem is that 21st century data is much less accurate than 20th century data. That is very surprising. What is more, if these numbers are correct, human population is already shrinking, which mostly invalidates the theory of man-made climate change. So these numbers have significance, and people need to be thinking about this. Tomorrow? Yeah, all right. So we are going to a break in just a second, but when we get back, we have a lot more topics to talk about and cover here, uh, including NATO, uh, debt interest, how green can, can humanity get? I, I'm, gonna, I'm looking forward to that one. And Syria <laughs> ravaged, can it end and more? So don't go anywhere, everybody. We are back here at the Tamar Yona Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Our guest is Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem, and we are talking now about NATO. Take it away. Okay. Now, as most people probably know, NATO had a summit on July 11th in Vilnius. That's a city in the, in the Baltic. Um, now, uh, uh, um, uh, what? Really reported in the news is that is that NATO comments concerning possible membership of Ukraine. That was a totally peripheral issue that was really not discussed all that much at the NATO summit. But we need to talk about what was discussed because this is very very important. Okay, in this ever evolving world, NATO envisions a new Cold War, resulting from shifting power blocks, with NATO positioning itself against the tripolar strategic competitors, Russia and China. So this is new. NATO was originally designed to work against Russia. Well, at the, at the time, Soviet Union, but okay. Remember, the Soviet Union was twice the size of Russia today. Twice the size. Russia today is 140 million people. Soviet Union was about, 300, was about 360 or 370 million people. So nearly twice the size. So Russia is not the Soviet Union. That's different from NATO. NATO is also attempting to broaden the security concept, incorporating what they call global commons. What's global? What are global commons? That's the ocean, space, technology, and cyber. Four uh, categories of things that are global and not geographical. Okay? Oceans, space, technology, and cyber. With its usual arrogance, NATO describes itself. This is how they describe those in their communique that that fin that came out at the end of this summit. I'm quoting: "The unique, essential, indispensable transatlantic forum to consult, coordinate, and act on all model uh, all matters related to our individual and collective security." 
This is to ensure the protection of its one billion citizens, uh, uh, safeguarding freedom and democracy. I'm somehow not convinced that the Canadian truckers would quite agree with that description. But okay, that's my personal opinion. The concluding communique reveals a significant strategic shift. NATO is no longer a defensive entity, quote unquote, but a proactive force to confront challenges in a multipolar world. <clears throat> Underscoring transitions to a definition of security, including those global commons that I, that I mentioned just a moment ago. The new Cold War is not confined to North Atlantic, remember NATO's North Atlantic Treaty Organization, or to military and geopolitical, but extends to technological, economic, and ideological. NATO is basically divided, has basically divided the world between them or us, and declared open warfare or all of the them. In other words, one billion people are going to control and uh, 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 um, uh, demand that 7 billion people do what they tell them to do. Uh, I consider this communicate to be one of the most misguided and dangerous documents in human history. We're talking about, again, a new Cold War, which is global in scope. Okay? The communicate underscores the importance of arm control, disarmament, and non-proliferation, while saying nothing and supporting Iranian nuclear ambitions. As to Ukraine, the ostensible excuse for all this is the West's vast investments in Ukraine. There's no membership as long as fighting continues, blah, blah, blah. And here's the choker. Here's the point of it that people need to really comprehend, because otherwise they don't really understand okay. what this communication means. Rand Paul, senator, and I'm quoting for him. He, this is a, 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 a tweet that he put out. I'm quoting it directly. Okay. Today I offered an amendment to the NDAA, that's a National Defense uh, uh, um, budget uh, um, law that would have to clarified that Article four, 5 of the NATO Treaty does not supersede the, con the Constitution. Just to make it clear, the text of his amendment is the following, quote, it is the sense of Congress that Article 5 of the North Atlantic Treaty does not supersede the Constitution, constitutional requirement that Congress declare war before the United States engages in war. It was defeated 83 to 16. What that means, what that defeat means is that Article 5 of the NATO Treaty now legally supersedes the Constitution of the United States. Every American citizen needs to know that. In other words, some creep in Kiev can now tell the American people when and where and how to go to war. And the President of the United States has ceded his control of such things. So if anybody disagrees with me that this is important, um, they're welcome to disagree with my opinion, of course. I believe that this communique is phenomenally important and people need to be aware of it. People need to do their research and find out what it is we're talking about. And that would, of course, advance the cause of having more of a one-world government. That is the purpose you, of it, yes. You take clearly. away the sovereignty of the U.S. citizens. Correct. Correct. I believe that that is the point, as is that, that is the point of the demonstrations in Tel Aviv, as is that point 
of the demonstrations in France, and etc., etc. These are all the same thing. They're all coming from the same source. These, these people, and unfortunately I'm not putting, I'm, I'm, I'm putting that word in double quotation marks, that believe that they have the right and the ability to tell all of us little guys, little guys and gals, that you will, own, you will own nothing and you will be happy. And if you're not yes. happy, we will step on you like a bug. <laughs> right. Well, we're living in interesting times, the yes, famous Chinese curse. Okay, yes, let's uh, move on. Let's the debt, the debt interest. People need to, again, this is something that people yeah. need to understand. While the show in Vilnius was going on, at the same time, exactly at the same time, the Congressional Budget Office released a new report. The U.S. government has accrued, as of right now, 652,000 403 billion in gross debt interest in 2023. Half a year. In other words, um, this means the interest payment on U.S. government debt will surpass $1 trillion this year. The interest on U.S. debt is now larger than either defense or Social Security. It is now the largest factor in the U.S. government budget. Anybody who still thinks that the debt doesn't matter needs to start figuring out what econom economics means. One trillion dollars just in debt servicing, just in the interest. Well, so the country goes bankrupt. <laughs> well, it's not quite that simple. I, I'm not laughing, bankruptcy is not exactly bankruptcy for a corporation or for a person is a way for you to get out of paying these things. Com countries can't quite do that. The only thing they can do, and this is very important to realize, there's only one thing historically that can be done. They went to war. They go to war. <laughs> yeah. And the war needs to be a really, aye, really aye, aye. big one. Yeah. In other words, I could have said, look, if you look at 1915, I think it was, when the Federal Reserve was first formed, <coughs> the U.S. dollar has lost since then 97% of its purchasing power. So you can say, okay, so they've inflated it down to 3% of what it was then. So they can just inflate it more, inflate it more, inflate it more, and eventually it'll all go away. Well, it's too late for that. Not when you cross that Rubicon of a trillion dollars in interest payments alone. And who is this being paid to? Countries like China, who owns a, very, a vast portion of U.S. debt. So if you think you can pay off China and still keep ahead of China, you just don't really understand what's going on. Such <laughs> good news you're giving us today, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. It's always a ray of sunshine I'm, when, well, when well, we're with well, you. Well of it today. Okay, okay here's, a, here's the one I've been waiting to get to also, and that is how green can humanity get? What okay. do you mean by that? I think this is just fun, but it, it's also a little bit kind of weird, okay? So a basic definition in, in, in science is a body without energy is called a corpse, okay? So what are the mineral minerals needed for green energy? Well, I mean, some, people, some of these are well-known, some of these are not well-known. Everybody talks about copper, cobalt, nickel, lithium, graphite, manganese, chromium, rare earth, zinc, 
aluminum, silver, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, let me give you just one example. People are talking about decarbonization by, 20, by 2050. Total nonsense. Physically impossible at every level. Okay? The largest silver mine in the world today, silver is a, is a critical mineral for all solar panels, for instance, as well as for electric automobiles and blah, blah, blah. Okay? So just one example. To decarbonize just in terms of silver, we would need 300 more silver mines the size of the largest silver mine in existence today. They don't, that mineral doesn't exist. We don't have 300 times more silver on this planet. And the same thing can be said for almost every other, every other one of those minerals that I mentioned. Okay? So all of these people that are talking about sustainability, for instance. Well, I got really shocking news for you guys. Um, silver and lithium and graphite and manganese and blah, 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 all these other minerals, none of them are sustainable. None of them are renewable. So if you're talking about solar panels and that's so-called renewable energy, then you're a jerk. You have no idea about what, what the word physics means. There is no such, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And there's no such thing as free energy. And there's certainly no such thing as renewable energy. It does not exist. There exists no mineral solution to the climate issue, even at the most optimistic estimations. So how green can we get? Not very. There is no way by the end of this century that we can perceive getting off fossil fuels. There just physically is no way to do it. Well, and that's yeah. completely aside from any issues of whether I think it should be done or not. I'm just talking about physics. Okay? Can we go to the next subject? If you want. <laughs> All right, next subject, Syria. Okay. Um, as everybody knows, Syria has been at, in a civil war since 2011. Um, why? How? What's, what's, this, what's the issue here? Um, as some people may know, people who are a little bit more uh, advanced in their, uh, uh, um, uh, at least their geography, people know that the Syrian civil war began with a question of water, as does the question of what's going on in Iraq today. So it's not just Syria. Both Syria and Iraq, both countries are drying up. Anyone who checks late uh, 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 recent reports about geology and geography is aware of this. Why are they drying up? The, 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 the area that used to be known as Mesopotamia, which means the middle of the world, by the way, um, Meso is middle, um, the area that, 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 that used to be there was, was well watered, was, was very well, was very fertile. Remember, it was called a fertile crescent, remember? And some people did learn history at one time in their, in their lives. Fertile Crescent. So where'd the water go? And this is very important. Um, in the Syrian Civil War, more than half a million people have been killed. Nobody really knows how many. More than half a million. <coughs> About 10 million refugees. Again, no one knows really how many. But these, are still, these things are still going on. Why has, is this going on? The answer is very simple, as, as it is 
horrible. Turkey, um, if people remember back, I don't know, I think it's 20 or 25 years ago, the water problems in Israel were very acute. And one of the proposals was, okay, why don't we import water from Turkey in enormous balloons that we can simply float down the sea from Turkey to us? Well, the Turks aren't all that sharp in terms of how they do things, but this gave them an idea. So what the Turks then did was they built a whole series of dams damming the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers, which meant that screw the Syrians, screw the Iraqis. They don't get to have water anymore. Turks have the water. They've kept it for themselves. And neither Syria nor Iraq has the military potential to tell Turkey, stop taking our water. Share it like everybody, like every normal human being does like it's been done for the last 7,000 years. 7,000 years has been, the, the sharing has been fine. No one had a problem with that. Turkish suddenly decided that they don't have, they don't care about that anymore. And they want to keep the water for themselves. By the way, they don't really need it. They don't have a water shortage in Turkey. There's no agricultural or human need for what they did. It's all political. Now let's take that to a, a that same concept to a different area of the world. China has built now one one of the things that people wonder about: why, what possible reason could the Chinese in 1950 have for conquering Tibet? There's nothing there. Well, there is something there. It's called water. China has built 87,000 dams in the last decade alone. 87,000 wow. dams. They're now trying to dam the Brahmaputra, which is one of the main, major rivers into India from Tibet. They previously dammed the Mekong, major river that some people old enough to remember the Vietnam War remember at least the name. The Mekong is a very important river, goes through several countries. Well, they've dammed the Mekong, and the level, the water level in the river is now less than half of what it used to be. And again, nobody's talking about this. Expect many more water wars in the coming decades. This is an impossible situation. Both Turkey and China, in these instances concerning water, Turning water into a weapon is simply not smart politics. Eventually, it will boomerang, and eventually there will be rivers of blood instead of rivers of water. They need more Jews there to do what Israel did, and that's making desalinization plants. So, absolutely. And, so absolutely. Water they're, they're, won't be again, Turkey has war. no shortage of water. China does, by the way. I mean, China at least has an excuse. Turkey has no excuse. China has an excuse that they have a large population and a relatively small amount of uh, uh, water in comparison. So they, they have an excuse. It's a bad excuse. It's an inhumane excuse. It's a, it's a nasty excuse. But they have some excuse. They can solve their problem easily with uh, 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 half a dozen um, um, uh, uh, nuclear um, um, uh, uh, energy plants and desalination along the coast. They can do that easily. It's not even a problem. The technology exists. 
There's nothing that needs to be done here. No development. It's just a question of doing. They're building these things anyway. But it's a lot more fun to screw, to screw with the Indians. I don't think the Indians are going to take it for very much longer. I'm certain that the Vietnamese are not going to take it for very, very much longer. And the Vietnamese have already beaten China in a war. When was that? I think in 1983, was it? Something like that. So uh, eventually, somebody's going to get really nasty and really angry. And when that happens, the results are not going to be fun. Now, people need to be aware that the Chinese army is a problematical army. And while it's very large, it's about 2 million people, more than 75% of all the people in the Chinese army are single children of their parents. In other words, every soldier that is killed, that family is wiped out. That's not good for Chinese civilization. Right, that's not going to so, make their citizens happy. Yeah, so can the, can the Chinese actually go to war? It's not clear at all. Taiwanese are banking on that, by the way. They call the they call that part of their porcupine defense. So again, damming rivers in order to weaponize water is just not smart politics. Okay. Let them take a lesson from that. And our last topic. Yeah, uh, people probably met, uh, heard the word the, the, the concept AUKUS. AUKUS was a uh, 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 probably the first, I think it was the first um, foreign policy initiative of the Biden maladministration when they began. Uh, 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 they decided to do a deal between uh, uh, Australia, uh, uh, the UK, and the United States. And by doing that, America basically spat in the face of France, America's oldest ally, which is really a really amazing thing for them, for America to have done. Um, and they screwed France out of more than $90 billion. And now the AUKUS uh, pact has basically been binned. It's basically been, it's basically collapsed. So they succeeded with their wonderful foreign, foreign policy, this Biden maladministration. They succeeded in screwing everybody benefiting nobody, and there's been no result other than anger and distrust. Isn't that a ph phenomenal way of making foreign policy? Isn't that interesting that we're in the year 2023 and we're, we're doing stuff like this? You think we'd know better? Well, um, my personal opinion, and again, this is purely opinion, uh, if I look at professionalism or what I define as professionalism in terms of a um, foreign policy chief for the United States. And again, you've had some people who are very good, some people who are very bad, some people in the middle. My personal opinion is that Pompeo was probably the most professional foreign policy chief in the history of the United States, or at least in the last hundred years. And Blinken is probably the worst, which is really a contrast one after the other. <clears throat> and with so, that we will end I think so well we've brought you a lot of information today I want you to know that you should not be disheartened from what is happening in Israel today yes it's sad in a sense because everybody always wants to see unity however 
also at the same time, when we are seeing these headlines, we should know, number one, don't always believe the headlines because a lot of these uh, people who in the army supposedly signing that they're not going to get into airplanes and they're not going to do their show up for their reserve duty, etc. That doesn't necessarily mean that in times of war, they would shirk their, resp- re- their responsibility and not protect the people of Israel. So be aware of that. Be aware also that the media, sadly, is hyping everything up in order to put people into a panic and the government into a panic that something has to be done. It has to be done now. You better stop this. It's, it's kind of like reminds me of the pandemic when the media was using all its force to scare people into submission, scare people into agreeing to lock themselves in their homes, scaring people into agreeing to stay two meters away from people, six feet away from people, did, did not hugging the, their the grandparents. What? Did you see the recent report about the 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 the, the, the uh, numbers and uh, uh, the, the vast increase in heart disease resulting from the um, from the uh, uh, um, uh, um, so-called uh, mRNA vaccine? shot? Yeah, yes, pericarditis, myocarditis, cancers have uh, f- increased by I don't know how many, how much percentage. Uh, it's very sad because some say, some doctors are saying that it attacks the immune system, not just the heart and the muscle and the et cetera, et cetera, but the immune system itself. And, and that's going to that's going to affect people with cancer and with other autoimmune diseases that they're seeing. And it's very, very sad. And people should be careful when they're taking any type of drug or any type of quote unquote vaccine. Just because your doctor says doesn't mean that that's what you should do. You should do your own research and understand that doctors are trained in medicine. So when they see a problem, they want to solve it with prescribing something to you. The thing that they prescribe doesn't have a brain and doesn't know that it's supposed to go to help, let's say, your heart at the same time it's hurting your kidneys or it's hurting your liver or et cetera, et cetera. So you really need to take responsibility for yourselves and not just trust your doctor. Go do research and then discuss your concerns with your doctor and then make your decision. I'm not telling you what to do in, 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 in uh, medical decisions, but you do. I do highly suggest that you start taking responsibility for your own health and not just blindly trusting someone who has a doctorate in medicine. Okay? That's all. Uh, that's what do- I'm say a there. doctorate in medicine is not the same as an MD. That's something that people don't understand. A PhD and an MD are not the same. Basically, an MD, Treats a medical doctor, people. is not somebody with a doctorate. But he's going, okay, but he's going to prescribe things. That's the way he, a surgeon, he'll look at things and say, we need to cut. And a, and a, and a medical doctor will prescribe a drug. And a holistic a doctor hammer, will prescribe. Everything looks like a nail. Okay. Well, all right. I'm just saying, people, go do your own research and then discuss things with whoever you want to discuss with, but really take your health in your own hands. Don't believe, don't get uh, panicked because the media is trying to scare you into submission. You better do this or you're going to die, or you better do this or you're going to lose the country. You're going to be killed by Hezbollah. Our enemies are going to come and kill us, and we're not going to help you because a country like this shouldn't exist anyway. It should only be the country that we want, even though they lost the elections. And, you know, the funny thing is that that, that they're waving Israeli flags and they're screaming democracy when it's anything but it's the opposite of democracy 
But you know, that's what that's what uh, that's what they do. That's what they do in order to to fool you. Look into the matter and decide for yourself. Do your research. It means work. Yeah, it does. But don't be a sheep. Don't just listen to what you're being told and accept it 100%. Go. If something bothers you, if you have a question, research it. Talk to other people who have a different opinion and listen to them. And then you can and decide. Allow yourself then you can to decide hear for more yourself than what one you... opinion. Yeah. Why not? I mean, I, I can have... Uh, like like with you, sometimes I have a I have a discussion with you. I don't agree everything you say. You probably don't agree on everything that I say or think or believe, etc. And I can I, I've listened to leftists before as well, and 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 I don't I disagree with them vehemently because I see this as a spiritual war as well. Because I see this as you're either a believer in God and you're a God fearing person, or you're a modern Tower of Babel person that wants to dethrone God, and you're going to make your own uh, destiny, you're going to decide what's right and wrong, what's moral and what's immoral, right? Uh, 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 what do they say? A, a uh, exotic, uh, what do they say? A, a stripper is not a stripper, she's an exotic dancer. Uh, sodomy isn't sodomy, it's just an alternative lifestyle. Everybody is going to just redefine to make it sound nice, but that is not what our creator says. And if you have to choose. Are you going to listen to your creator or are you going to listen to mankind and what they want to do? So it's your decision. You can do what you like. All right. I guess we'll stop there. Good place to okay. stop. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for being with us. And again, you are all entitled to your own opinion. But I do urge you to do research and to be more humble and to try to think what the creator of the world who created us and put us on this earth for what our mission is to do what kind of world we'd like to see one of freedom one of love acceptance being good people helping other people or just feeding our desires and doing what we want to do and then redefining it in order to make it right so-called right thanks for being with us